Welcome to the Spectrum Lounge, where we discuss creatives of color, changing and disrupting the game in TV, film, and pop culture. In this episode, host Rebecca Theodore Vachon welcomes back BET.com's entertainment editor, Jerry L. Barrow, as they review season two of Netflix's Dear White People. Take a listen. Welcome to a new episode of the Spectrum Lounge. I am your host, Rebecca Theodore Vachon, and I am joined by Jerry L. Barrow. He's the entertainment editor for BET.com, and we will be reviewing season two of Dear White People, the Netflix series. Hi, Jerry. Hey, what's up, Rebecca? How are you? (laughs) So, yeah, let's talk about Dear White People season two. I'm just going to start off by saying that I loved the second season. I mean, you and I had had discussions about the first season. Maybe you can share some of your beefs or gripes with the first season. I Mm -hmm. I feel ultra confident in saying what I'm about to say because I actually got to say this to Justin Simeon's face a few weeks ago at the Netflix junket. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did not like the movie Agree. Dear White People. Right. Did not like the season one of Dear White People. Agree. For Because the, the TV show was pretty much a recreation of the movie but I thoroughly enjoyed season two. I told him you made me a convert because I was really not in your camp and he just laughed at me. But he was appreciative. You know, I come from the whole PWI background. I went to Wesleyan University in the 90s. And so I recognized the caricatures. Right. But I felt like it stopped short of being, you know, really critical and taking us to places we hadn't been before. It felt like there were people he just remembered from school that he wanted to portray. And he did it, but we didn't get any much. There wasn't much depth to them. Second season, we finally get them fleshed out and really get some backstory, and they get to, get to see their interactions and thoughts. I enjoyed it way more than season one. I felt like the writing was stronger. They they focused on the characters that mattered more to me. Like I never really was drawn to Sam as a character, even when she was Tessa Thompson. Right. But you know, she's while I do I did have a little bit more empathy for Sam this season, it was definitely more about Coco and Reggie and the rest of the cast for me in season two. And I think that's the strong suit. And you know, most second seasons they benefit from the fact that you don't have to do all the exposition. You can just jump right in. But I love the stories that didn't necessarily focus on just the the, the race right conflicts right like and um i forget which one it is. is it is it um coco that is dating the guy in her science class yes uh, you mean a uh, joel or was it joel yeah the one who ended up being a hotel yes no that, <laughs> that threw me for such a loop because here i was really in her corner because i wanted her to have a relationship that was strong and positive after the first season i'm like okay finally she gets hers and he seemed to be checking off all the right boxes. He was engaging and, you know, he was smart. And, you know, he took her to the um, to the kitchen and showed her different things about the campus that she didn't know. I'm like, okay, this cool, this dude is legit. And then it all blew up. In her. <laughs> I felt so bad. But I also knew a lot of guys. And I won't say I was that guy, but I was damn near close. I mean, if you went to, if you were a black man in college, you didn't read Behold a Pale Horse or the ISIS papers, or any of those books, you you lying. Like, we, we, all, we right. all read those books because we were trying to find alternative knowledge mm-hmm. 
you know, the, this is what catches a lot of brothers out there now. It's like we don't want to just rely on what we get from school right. and the education system. So anything that seems like an alternate reality or alternate thought or an opposing thought, we gravitate towards it and don't look at it critically. So you get things like Kanye, which I did. I spoke to the cast about because Kanye seemed like he'd be a, the type of person who would be on campus mm-hmm. that they would invite to kind of like spark a discussion because you have the black guy who it has the alternative white views and they kind of they 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 weren't feeling what he said, but they agreed that he would be the type of person who'd be on that show. Right. Um, to to but I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um that episode, um number one, I was really happy that we got a Joel centric episode because I know myself I'm a huge fan of the actress Ashley Blaine for anybody who watched uh, she had a web series which she co-created with uh, Lena Waithe called Hello Cupid which was super cute oh yeah uh, yeah yeah it was with Haley Marie Norman Ashley and, and Haley played uh, roommates and it was sort of like this Serrano de Bergniac sort of thing where they switched identities on a dating site yeah. Which was really cool. So I've I've always been like rooting for Ashley, and so loved her in the first season of Dear White People because she was just sort of like the voice of reason. Like she has the common sense, and she kind of grounds Sam. And so that Joel centric episode, the reason why I loved it is because not only, I mean the the Hotep storyline was very hilarious, and mm-hmm. you can tell that <laughs> basically Justin Simeon pays attention to Black Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and just Definitely. the con- the you know the conversations that we have about the hoteps and the ashes or whatever and of course there's a whole debate about using the word hotep some people are like you know it's a misappropriation of the word you know that we've we've made it a pejorative that's not really what hotep is which is why I try not to use that word personally I just right. use ashy right. <laughs> the ashy Larrys and the ashy um, I do agree with that yeah. I, I was def- I had very positive experiences with the word hotep in college and yes. I hate to see that it's been, I mean, I have friends who are literally named Tim Hotep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't try not to use it. Much, yeah. Much I, th- I feel, I try to use ashy, um, <laughs> you know, that's just basically code for, you know, the misogynistic corner of, of, of black Twitter. But yeah, I think what was especially great about that episode is because, you know, it was really, they didn't spend a lot of time on it, but just that opening scene, because, you know, Joelle becomes a co-host to Sam on Dear White People in a way to kind of give her emotional support. And when you watch the scene, you know, Sam had invited Joelle to be a co-host. Now, if you tell me that I'm a co-host, that tells me that I that we're sharing the show 50-50, right? You right, talk right. half, I talk half. And what was interesting was that in the exchange they have in the radio booth, you know, Joelle is kind of giving Sam advice like, yeah, you know, we should talk about this or whatever. And then Sam just cuts her off. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? And... And they show you how to flyer. Her picture gets smaller. Yeah, that was her boyfriend pointed out. He's like, "Aren't you a co-host?" And she's right. like, "Yeah, but why is your name so small and your picture right. so small?" Yeah, because uh, you know, and I think that is, um, and what I liked about it is that it was, it was, it was done deftly uh, w- with a very light touch, but it's, it's very insight. I think it was a really interesting look into Sam and Joel's dynamic because. Really, if you look at this friendship, in my opinion, I feel that Joel is a much better friend to Sam than Sam is to Joel. Because I'm trying to recall of a, I'm trying to recall a scene where Sam made herself emotionally 
available to Joelle, like just like, hey, how's your day, girl? How's it going? How are your studies? No, what you really see is sort of this dynamic. And I, and I think you have to have imperfect characters. I don't believe that you should make characters uh, perfect. I think Sam's part of Sam's imperfection is that she's very narcissistic and she's mm-hmm. very self-centered and she makes everything about her and you know to be friend a friend to someone like that because I remember Joelle says a line where she says basically we're the Kellys of the world and I knew exactly what she was talking about you know what I mean because okay, yeah because it's sort of like yeah sort of the Beyonce and I mean of course I'm not we don't know what Beyonce and Kelly's friendship is like. We don't know that. They could be the best of friends. I think it's what it seems to the outside, you know, because that's also touching on colorism mm-hmm. because Sam is lighter skinned. She is mixed race. And with that comes a certain amount of privilege. And Joelle, you know, while equally beautiful, is seen as darker skinned. And unfortunately, in the media and even in the black community, Sam would be seen as the more visually preferable person we see this in movies and tvs or whatever yeah so it was really kind of looking at joelle's sort of second (laughs) second class citizen status in this relationship and it's it it kills me because joelle is just as smart she's just as brilliant as sam but yeah and so i think you know her being taken by this young man i think it was sort of she was kind of caught in this loop of being a feeling like she was second rate compared to Sam. And so this guy comes and he's sweeping her off her feet and she was like, oh, okay, this is cute. You know mm. what I mean? And then of course it all goes to crap. And <laughs> yeah, like you gotta, you gotta be careful of those ashes. They're, they're deceptively charming <laughs> until they say some wild stuff. Like just me personally, like I'll, I'll just be honest. And I've talked to, you know, other women, my other women friends on Twitter is that, you know, sometimes you'll have, you'll, you'll meet, you'll meet a guy on Twitter, right? Like you guys will start following each other. Maybe you saw a tweet that he, that he wrote and you liked it or he retweeted you and then you guys start following each other, your mutuals. And then you look at the Avi and you're like, Ooh, he's cute. You know what I mean? But I've learned my lesson. I've learned my lesson. Good looks will only get you so far. You know what I'm doing? I'm looking at your timeline. I'm looking at your timeline. I'm going in maybe one, two, maybe a month deep. And what I'm looking for is because without fail, sometimes you'll find that misogynistic tweet, that homophobic tweet, that transphobic tweet. And you're like, oh, okay, nope. <laughs> nope. And, I, you know, I'm telling you, if you talk to women, they'll tell you that too. It'll be like, yeah, I was talking to him and he seemed really cool. And then he tweeted some craziness. And then it was like, pew. So, yeah, that was that was that was a really cool episode. But speaking of Sam, um, and I agree with you because I've been struggling with Sam's character because I find the other characters in Dear White People way more interesting than Mm -hmm. Sam. Well, specifically in the first season, I was just like, I just was not here for her. The second season, I feel that Justin tried to work with that. He was like, okay, I know she's not the most likable person, but at least let's give her some layer and some depth. And so I'm thinking of two episodes. Well, there's there's a few. The first episode, the season premiere, where Sam battles (laughs) this anonymous Twitter troll, right? He seems to be like some alt-right racist dude. And that episode cracked me up because I really feel that that was Justin's kind of like, because uh, I again, like I said, he you know he watches Black Twitter, he watches how yeah. we engage with it, and I really yeah. feel like that lesson that that 
episode was really kind of talking into the way that we get sucked in and giving our energy and our focus to these anonymous people that we do not know. These are people who have like dog avis, um, anime avis, just (laughs) these anonymous people that some people who have like two or five followers, but then you'll spend like two, three hours battling with them. Yeah, You know what I mean? And so (laughs) we watched (laughs) Sam kind of going back and forth with this dude like all weekend. Like she's in her same pajamas, doesn't wash her ass, nothing. That's terrible. What I liked about it is that when we find out who it is, it's really ripped from the headlines. Right. It's It's Milo Yiannopoulos. You know, we think that these people don't exist or that because you occupy one space as a protected group or or a discriminated against group you feel like they're going to have certain views but just because he was a man of color and gay did not mean that he's going to be liberal liberal or progressive or even tolerant Mm -hmm. so when we find out who the troll was that was like holy shit but it made perfect sense to me right Right. Yeah, it was interesting because I, you know, I was tracking some of the discussions online, you know, when the reveal, when people got to that episode and the reveal was that the troll was Silvio. (laughs) And some people had mixed feelings about it. Some people were like, yeah, oh, this is great. This was a great, a great twist. And some people were like, nah, it doesn't even make sense. It's and I was just sort of like, no, actually, it does kind of make sense because as we can see throughout the season, throughout the episodes, this was someone, some of the things that he was telling Sam, it was obviously it was somebody within their circle or somebody that yeah. was very close to them. But right. of course, the whole time you're thinking it's somebody white. You know, that that's what threw everybody for a loop. I was looking at that, that Chet looking dude. Um, I was looking at Muffy. <laughs> I was looking at Muffy, uh, Coco's, you know, best white friend or whatever. I was just like, who? Like, how do they know this stuff? And then when you look at the the flashbacks, he was there. Like, you know what uh, I mean? Like, you saw him. Like, he was close to them. And so they never uh, saw it coming. And then when he, when Lionel, because uh, Lionel is the one who, uh, you know, realizes that Silvio is the troll in more ways than one right yeah you know and then what he said was just like yo I'm just I'm fed up he was just like I'm just so fed up with all these you know all this identity politics and da 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 and I'm like you know what what he's saying I've seen people say these things write these things down so it really wasn't that unrealistic to me that Silvio would have been the troll he was just like I'm not I'm not with it Mm. Speaking of Lionel, Lionel's character, I really like him. I always feel that Lionel, out of all the characters, I feel that Lionel might be the truest to who Justin is. Because I always feel like every writer, whether you're a filmmaker or, um, you know, a a TV showrunner or a TV writer, there's pieces of you in every character. But there is always that one character that is basically your avatar. That is the closest to who you are. And, And I think Lionel is in a lot of ways because much like Justin, he's a black queer man, you know what I mean, who went to a PWI. And so mm-hmm. I feel like a lot, like you said earlier, a lot of this is, you know, could be based on on Justin's own personal experiences. And so with the second season, I, for one, was very happy to see him finally get a love interest. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. thought um, he, he, he meets this guy. And it was interesting, too. He goes to this party full of other gay, gay men, and he finds this really cute black guy, and, he you know, Lionel is really shy and awkward. And then the 
black guy just shoots him down. And he, I forget what word he used or what term he used, but basically he told Lionel, um, I don't date other black men. Yes, I forgot what uh, he said. Oh, I was so hurt. I was like, "Damn, that's fucked up." Like, and it's true. I've I've talked to other, you know, my my black queer male friends, and they're like, "This is a thing for some of them. They refuse to date within their race. Refuse." I guess because they feel like it's expected. Like mm-hmm. I can kind of relate to the notion because I went to to a lot of predominantly white schools, and they always played the game of trying to hook you up with the one other black girl. Like, if my high school, we did a student exchange and mm-hmm. there was another black girl in the class, they all assumed because I'm the one black guy that we're going to hook up with <laughs> each other. And it's, it's and you want to reject it on some level. Like, no, I'm not going to like you just because you're the one other black person. Yep. So I guess in, that, in those scenarios, you feel like, okay, I'm already, you know, I'm already in a group of gay people mm-hmm. and now you want to just siphon me off or or restrict me to only dating other black guys hell right. no right i have i mean i have an issue with you saying you won't date people from your race mm-hmm. um personally but i can understand to some degree wanting to reject the notion that just because i'm black i'm supposed to date the other one other black guy in the room you know because we may not have shit in common other than being black yeah but i, I was glad that he hooked he did um what was the dude named Wesley? Yeah, Wesley. They were so cute. They were cute. And I tell you, I mean, it was it was really cool too because we actually saw them have sex. And I mean, listen, there's been gay sex depicted on television, but to my knowledge, I don't know that many. At least if we're talking, you know, on a broader platform, it was kind of refreshing. It was like we're seeing all these straight people hook up. Right. And so I was like, yeah, you got to have the balance and show the queer people having sex, too. So that scene was really it was it was it was endearing (laughs) and it was realistic as fuck to me because I, I liked I appreciated <laughs> that it was realistic because he's a virgin yeah. you know even you, we grew up watching the L word and right. um, what was the other shows was it six feet under uh-huh and then queer as folk queer as folk and mm-hmm. they just made every gay person was like a sex god you yes know? <laughs> like they all knew what they were doing off the rip and right they, so how do they get to be that good? You get to, you start out like everybody else is a virgin who doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Watching porn. <laughs> no, it was it was so funny too because it was like because Lana was on top and then you know he was trying to penetrate Wesley. Wesley was like, ah, go get the lube, go get the lube, and I was like, I'm a woman and I can totally relate to that. He was like, yeah, you not, you not. Hey, it just got PG thirteen. <laughs> my podcast we can talk about that we can do that um yeah so it was really yeah it was really cool and also the fact that i mean the actor who plays lionel deron horton i think he's great in the role as lionel i love him but it was like when he took off his shirt i was like what (laughs) like lionel is a hottie i had no idea so now i'm just looking at deron horton in a whole new light i mean i always thought he was cute and handsome but now he's like Mm -hmm. he got the glow up he's on a whole other level so yeah yes to queer sex i love that i i love that they've maintained his friendship with troy um because i think that's something we also need to see too to see that hetero 
men can have friendships with queer men right and and i love the fact that troy is very confident in his sexuality he has like he walks around naked whatever right in front of lionel he doesn't care you know what i mean and and i appreciate that they have that kind of friendship and i'm hoping more men will watch that and appreciate that troy so let's talk about the troy character now yeah his story arc this season was not that interesting to me. What do you think? I mean, because he had his Troy Troy centric episode. I didn't like it. I mean, we the whole legacy thing has kind of been done before, and it's an extension of what happened from the first season. And you know, you had the funny back. What was it? Was it a flashback where he's like basically that meme of um, the black community frowns upon your shenanigans? Yes. they just basically took that meme Uh and and blew it up into a whole episode and um i just wish they did a better job of even trying to build up empathy for troy because all they do is really paint him as this dude who's trying to hold a position to please his father and he's horrible at it Mm -hmm. and then that's pretty much it like i don't feel like we got any i don't feel like he learned anything I don't feel like his character grew at all. No, if anything, I felt it kind because of, then it was sort of like, oh, I really want to be a stand-up comic. What? I was like, mm, okay. I mean, I just felt like it was sort of like a 180 because, you know, at the end of the first season, he was the one that, you know, kind of was kind of pushing that whole protest. Like he was right. sort of woke up and now mm-hmm. it's sort of like now he's buddy-buddy with these white frat guys. I'm like, I'm not really seeing yeah. where the progression is in his character so i don't know i i love the actor brandon bell i think he's great he's gorgeous mm-hmm. but it was a his his story arc was a little undercooked to me compared to coco Ooh, coco yeah. uh the actress i believe is antoinette robertson is that yes shout out to antoinette robertson um the the coco centric episode to be honest with you i actually like the coco centric episode from season one because that was the mm-hmm. flashback of showing how she and Sam ended up kind of being frenemies, so to speak. And so this season, we find uh, in this Coco-centric episode, Coco finds out that she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. Seems that um, our, our our man, um, Troy, is the father. Um, and I think that is actually one of the best written episodes that I've seen this year of any TV show because, I mean, abortion, we see it depicted on shows, you know, whether they want to have it, they don't want to have it, whatever. But I really felt that the way that they handled, handled it, specifically with Coco's character, because I always feel like whatever decision you make, it shouldn't be what's politically correct or what makes the audience happy. It has right. to be true to the character. And we know right. that Coco is somebody that comes from um, a very you know um, disadvantaged and poor background, right? And basically she sees being at Winchester as her chance to be able to break out of that. She's very ambitious right. to a fault. Well, I'm not going to say to a fault. She's just ambitious <laughs> and is unapologetically so. And so when this happened, I was just kind of like waiting to see how that would play out. And I loved the fact that they showed that she was torn. And, and I think that's real for a lot of women. We're not really, because any decision, we don't know what the right decision is. If we keep it, if we don't keep it, we never know. All we can figure out is what's right for me. And I think the decision that she made was true 
to Coco's character. I don't think they were trying to make a political statement, pro-choice, pro-life. I think mm. the choice was pro-Coco, right? Oh, nice. Uh, you know what I mean? Because, and, and I love that you sh they kind of had you show her decide to have the baby. She mm. leaves the campus and then it's sort of like a fast forward and then 17 years later, it seems like she's an attorney or something. Mm. And then now her 17 year old daughter, you know, runs into the office and she's like, mommy, mommy, I get, you know, I got accepted to Winchester. And then we see yeah. she and Troy are with their daughter, um, you know, basically touring Winchester. It's a little bit, you know, a little bit more futuristic or whatever. And then mm. it's like, ah, ha, ha, gotcha. That was right. that was her what if, right? Mm -hmm. And then Coco was like, "Yeah, we going to we're going to this clinic." You know <laughs> what I mean? And I was just like, "Wow!" And I'm telling you, like, I felt it just felt real. Like, I just I so related to that. And I think every woman who's had to make that decision, it's mm -hmm. never an easy decision. Mm -hmm. Nobody. I'm going to say this. It's never as tragic as some TV shows show it to be, but it's never as flighty or, um, you know, it's not like, oh, I just got my teeth cleaned. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, like, yeah, I mean, of course, it's 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 a decision. It's a it's a medical procedure. It's, it's invasive. It's in your body. Um, but yeah, I think for her, she was just sort of like, listen, that because I think what was interesting is all that ambition that you saw her put towards her daughter in that fantasy world coco was like nah i'm i'm gonna get mine now this right. this is what i'm gonna do you know what i mean i'm gonna be in the white house i'm gonna run for senator i'm gonna do this and i love that i just love that they just let coco be herself and they she don't did. they don't try to tame her they don't try to make her nice they, she just is who she is yeah it wasn't about a dream deferred like i'm not deferring this dream i'm living it now yep and I could relate to it so much because in college, that was one of the more common scenarios for me, like hearing about, I, and I saw both. Mm -hmm. I knew several girls who got pregnant on campus and kept the baby, and now we're now seeing them graduate from high school, and it's so surreal. It's like, oh, shit, mm. I remember you were pregnant with her. Wow. And new ones that, you know, did made Coco's decision, like, listen, I'm not ready to be a mother. I'm not ready to have a kid. I right. This is my one shot. I'm going to, you know, make this decision for me. So I like that they gave you both options and showed you um, how they did it. It did remind me a little bit of um, they, what they did on Insecure last, was it last season? Right. They kind of pump faked you on um, on their wedding, mm -hmm. on um, Issa and, and Lawrence's yes. relationship. Like you almost thought they got back together and mm -hmm. you show them getting married and having a baby and all this other stuff. And then you just snap back like, oh, no. Yeah, <laughs> that's not happening. That's not happening. So, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. every every yeah. decision that we make, it's sort of like it's an infinity. It's like you take this road, it opens up this, and so yeah. I think um, that was, and I, I'm hoping that Netflix will definitely look into maybe submitting that for Emmy consideration for writing because mm -hmm. I, I thought that was like a really great. You know, it was a, it was a very well written episode, and and I think Antonat Robertson did a great job with that and then what was interesting too was that and, and this is the other thing that i like is that a lot of the characters that we were introduced to in the first episode in the first season um were highlighted more in the second season another character that i really liked um because we saw a lot of her in this coco centric episode was kelsey um mm. her roommate <laughs> she's so cute she's so <laughs> adorable and 
come to find out that she's a lesbian. I was like, oh, okay, this is cool. I didn't know that. Uh, unless I missed something. I don't think I don't think they had revealed that in the in the first season. Uh, I don't know that either. No. Yeah, I think she was rubbing because Coco wasn't feeling well. She kind of had like morning sickness, and then she was Kelsey. I think Kelsey's like Trinidadian or something like that. She's from Trinidad, so she was doing like some home remedies or whatever, and she was rubbing Coco's feet, and she was like, hey. Listen, I'm a lesbian, but you're not my type. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like, <laughs> but it was like, oh, that's nice to know that Kelsey's a is, is a lesbian. So that so now we have, to my knowledge, two queer characters on Dear White People. So that's good. Lionel doesn't have to carry, you know, at least as far as the main characters. You know what I mean? But I'm definitely glad that we have more queer characters in there. And then the other episode, because I know you really like this episode, um, and this goes back to the Sam character because, like I said, I'm not really a fan of the Sam character um, <laughs> but the episode the, there were two episodes the one where Kel, uh, where Sam's father passes away mm-hmm. and she goes back home to the funeral and I thought that, that was an interesting episode because I think that really gave us a lot more insight into why Sam is such is so defensive and why she's mm-hmm. so like like I feel like sometimes her blackness is a little performative sometimes like girl you're just being a little extra right now you need to calm it down but I think that's what happens with people who are mixed race right because they're constantly challenged on are you black enough Right. And so they have to be super pro, pro, pro black, Mm -hmm. more so than browner skin or darker skin people to just kind of maintain that status. You know what I mean? And so what what was interesting to me, at least watching that episode was really to me, that episode was really coming Sam coming to terms, not only grieving her father, but coming to terms with the fact that Sam wasn't fighting the wasn't fighting the side that was black. She was fighting the side that was white, I think, in a way she was building a wall between she and her father where she was kind of distancing herself because she was like, I'm going into this space where I'm seen as like this black activist and I have this radio show called Dear White People, right? And so she has to maintain this image and then every time she has to look at her father or seeing that, remembering that her father is white, you know what I mean? That kind of, I think that made her feel a certain way because it's like you're on this platform denouncing white supremacy and then the man who loves you the most is the person who looks like that. You know what I mean? Although clearly Sam's father was somebody who's very progressive and someone very liberal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that was that was an internal fight for her. It was like, shit, like I am in- half white. Like she had to she had to come to terms with the fact that she is half white. And Silvio knew to push that button with her too. Mm-hmm. Like that broke her. Yeah, with Sam, the, the other part where that I want to get to before we have to go is mm-hmm. when she meets with Tessa Thompson. Oh, I love that episode. That, that scene was—that's her confronting herself in a different way. Yes, with her father, she's confronting the racial side, and then now she's confronting her politics. And mm-hmm. I loved it because Justin Simeon told me that he want—he had that scene in his head before he wrote that scene out, but didn't know where it was going to go. Right. So he said it would be a great meta moment to have Sam meet her movie self in Tessa Thompson and mm-hmm. Tessa ultra conservative right version of her yeah basically her conservative doppelganger he was trying to figure out where it would go mm-hmm. so i think he found a great place for it in the season and i felt like that was such a great mirror to hold up to sam for her to see what she could become if she were to give into the twitter trolls or give into the hate or just you know decide that she wanted to pivot 
into you know mm-hmm. the, the the politics of of oppression in a different way. Um, right. So yeah, I know you had thoughts on it too, but I just wanted to get. Yeah. Um, yeah. The way I read that scene. Well, number one, again, if we're talking Emmy nominations, because um, I know mm-hmm. the Emmys have like a guest guest appearance nomination. Right. And I think Tessa should definitely be on that list because she turned that scene because <laughs> we all because we all know who Tessa is in real life. She is the most uber liberal free loving whatever and then to see her with that wig and just dress like was like oh my god <laughs> um and yeah it was like into a dear uh, into a mirror darkly right and so yeah so it was kind of like sam looking at her darker more conservative doppelganger right the other way that i also read that scene because it's meta as fuck the mm-hmm. other way that i read the scene too is the fact that and and Tessa's character says this we're both sides of the same coin right you're ultra ultra liberal I'm ultra ultra conservative right okay now let's just expand it when we watch when you turn on the television when you watch CNN MSNBC Fox News or whatever any of these news this is how when they do a round table, right, or any topic, they find the most super, super, super conservative person, and then they find the most super, super liberal person, and they just fight it out and duke it out, right? right. And, and sometimes it's like, that. there's no middle ground. There, it's like, come on, like, the average person is a little bit of both. I think the average person is liberal in some ways. Chris Rock said this, and some shit you're liberal about, some shit you're conservative about. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I And I think... Unfortunately, because of social media, I don't feel that people can be as honest and authentic as they want to be because I feel that there there is a certain political correctness that if you say certain things or if you have a different opinion, mm-hmm. you get dragged, you get mobbed, all of that. But, yeah, I think she was really kind of, I think Tessa's character was really telling her, like, you're not that much different than me. Like, nope. yeah, you, like she was like, you have a radio show called Dear White People. Like, that is, like, that's just, like, basically poking the bear. How is that any difference to what I'm doing when I say something to liberal people to piss them off? You know what I mean? And it was like, I mean, to be clear, white supremacy is wrong. <laughs> yeah. and, what, and what Sam, the work that Sam is doing, there's a lot of truth in what she's saying. But, yeah, but it, but it is a game. And, and I'm not naming any, any names, but we know these people. We know these people that... Mm-hmm have become you know the the face of black of of the black community right and have profited off of that they have profited off of that and Mm -hmm. let me be clear i feel that there are genuine uh activists and there are active there are genuine people who are actually working for the liberation of black people and for the dismantling of white supremacy and i feel that quite frankly a lot of these people are the ones that are not in the spotlight they're not yeah. the ones that on the six o'clock or seven o'clock news because they're too busy doing the groundwork, right? Yeah. And yet you have some people, they have a college degree. I'm going to say it. They have a college degree. They learn a certain language, right? And mm-hmm. then they're the ones that are getting the book deals. They're the ones that are getting the TV appearances or whatever. And then the, the higher they ascend, the farther they get away from the community that they're supposed to be working for and protecting. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they don't even... They're living in a whole different zip code. You know what I mean? Their tax returns look totally different. And I'm not saying black people are supposed to be poor. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that um, sometimes there is a profiting off of black pain. Yep. There is a certain profiting off of black pain. And the people that are in pain are not the ones that are getting the checks. They're not getting the money. 
You know what I mean? And meanwhile, they're just, you know, listen, again, not naming any any names, but I think y'all know who I'm talking about. (laughs) Because, you know, these are people that kind of like, you know, when Ferguson and all this stuff happened, you know what I mean? Some of these people just went into a whole other level. And the people that were doing the groundwork who were there way before Ferguson or any of that stuff, they're not the ones that are getting the book deals. And I think and I think. For me, that's how I read that scene. And in a way that Sam, her activism is performative in some ways. Mm-hmm. I think there's a sincerity. I think there's an authenticity to it at times. And sometimes she's just extra. <laughs> she's just, pro- you know what I mean? She's just, uh, you know, just being who she is. You know what I mean? To get the views, to get the clicks, to get, you know, whatever. So, yeah, that was that was an excellent scene. I'm, I'm so glad he got tested to do that. So... Thank you for calling in. Thank you for having me. You're I'll welcome. be I'll be up there next time. Okay. <laughs> like Great. A whole lot. It's like movie season. I got junkets and reviews and all this stuff to do, and I'm trying to keep my sanity. Oh no. I'm here for you. <laughs> all right. See you later. Okay. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Spectrum Lounge. You can find Jerry L. Barrow on Twitter at J-L-B-A-R-R-O-W. You can also find our host, Rebecca Theodore Bashan, on Twitter at filmfatale underscore NYC. If you enjoyed this episode, please share this podcast and donate to our Patreon, www patreon.com forward slash film fatale underscore nyc so we can keep bringing you quality content until next time <laughs>